Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. The show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe Lajanusa. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me again today on Next on the Tee. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and this morning I am so excited to share four great guests with you. First up is going to be Paul Grangard. Paul is the president and CEO of the Allen Edmonds Shoe Corporation. He's led that organization now for nearly seven years, brought them back from the brink of bankruptcy to now a thriving company that they are today. We're going to talk with Paul about you know how he did that, their partnership with Jack Nicholas. And you know, those of you, you know, who are regular listeners of the show, you know what a great fan I am of Mr. Nicholas. Paul's, Paul and his company, Alan Edmonds, have got a great partnership with, uh, with Mr. Nicholas, got some fantastic shoes and some accessories and apparel that they've partnered with him with. So we're going to talk about all of that with Paul here in just a few moments. Following him is going to be Chris Kosky. Chris is the Global Director of Product Strategy for Odyssey and Wedges for the Callaway Golf Company. We'll hear about all their new technology and the materials that they are using in their putters this year. Plus, they just recently came out with a PM grind for the Callaway Wedges. What does that mean and why do we need it? Well, we're going to find out when Chris is here about 20 minutes from now. Following Chris is going to be our good friend and Sports One Marketing CEO, David Meltzer. He'll be back for his regular monthly visit with us. We'll hear about what he and his partner, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, are working on uh, when, they, when he joins me at the bottom of the hour. And then we're going to wrap up the show with our new segment, Ask Sean. You know, our friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel, is going to be back with us answering your questions that you sent to us via Twitter and uh, on our Next on the T Facebook page. Um, please keep your questions coming. You can uh, tweet them to me at CT Mascaro on Twitter. And like I say, go to our Next on the T with Chris Mascaro Facebook page and send us your questions. Sean really enjoys getting to interact with fans. So uh, he'll be here answering your questions as often as his schedule is going to allow. Joined us last time and he's back again this week. So we got a bunch of questions over the last week that he'll be answering uh, with us about 45 minutes from now. So it's going to be a great show. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour. Next on the Tee is brought to you today by Seymour Putters. Let's get started by hearing a word about our friends over there. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putt shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius. It's like locking radar onto the target. In this case, the golf hole. Putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open and 2007 Masters Champions both use, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts and take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and put a Seymour Putter in your bag today. 
Like Joe said, check out their rifle scope technology that helped win two majors and 35 tour events. And it's going to help you make more putts, too. And I know it's helping me. Now, folks, you know, I was off with my buddies at our annual uh, golf outing last weekend. Had two of the best putting rounds of my life with the new Seymour putter. 55 putts over two rounds, folks. Not bad. Check them out online, seymour.com. And like Joe said, it's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our new friends over at Allen Edmonds. The shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are a part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made-in-the-USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. To find the right pair of shoes for you, go to allenedmonds.com. Allen Edmonds is an American original. I want to kick off the show like we do every single week here on Next on the T by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices for what you do every day to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties, which allows the rest of us to do what we do. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have our show be a part of your network. You can find us by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. I also want to let our veterans know, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. It's a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for veterans that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Be sure to check it out, globalvoiceforveterans.org. I also want to thank, pardon me, everyone listening in across the Internet on great sites like iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store, or you're simply tired of the same old, same old while you're out and about and driving on your commute, download the Player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone and take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. All right, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Paul Grangard. Let me give you a little bit background on Paul. He earned his bachelor's degree at Stanford and his MBA at the University of Chicago. He spent 19 years as an investment banker with Piper Jeffrey. He's been the president and CEO of Allen Edmonds Shoe Corporation now for nearly seven years. Allen Edmonds began handcrafting shoes here made in America back in 1922, so they've been doing it now for about 93 years, folks. They were on the verge of bankruptcy in 2008 when Paul took over, and it's been quite a turnaround story since. And I'm so honored to have Paul next on the tee with me this morning. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. And I'd just like to start by echoing your uh, gratitude to our men and women in uniform, especially today, the 71st anniversary of D-Day. So uh, I give the exact same sentiments out to all the people listening in. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Paul, so you're going along, I'm curious, as I was kind of reading over your bio a little bit, you're going along your career in the investment banking industry. Allen Edmonds is a brand in crisis back in 2002, revenues down 30% since 2006, operating profit down 90%, unable to pay its, you know, interest on its debts. What made you say, you know what, sign me up, I can fix that. Well, actually, I had left the uh, investment banking business, and I was uh, a partner in the private equity firm that had bought Allen Edmonds. 
and uh, the CEO was a younger fella, really good guy, but uh, he decided to go do something else, and he left, and we needed somebody to jump in as interim CEO, and, uh, you know, we're, we own the company, and we're responsible for it, so I jumped in as interim, and quickly, uh, first of all, I loved the job, and I gelled well with the CFO, who's a great guy, the head of manufacturing, another great guy, and, and the head of systems, who's also a good guy, a great guy, and the three of them all said, you know, hey, you seem to like this, and we like working with you, and we're going in the right direction now. Why don't you stay? And I said, well, I'm glad you said that because I've been wondering if anybody would be thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Uh, and so I decided to uh, leave the private equity world and throw my hat in um, with those guys and uh, really buckle down and start to work. There you go. Paul, I read an article in Forbes magazine that said you literally cut your competitor's shoes apart to study how they were made. Uh, you examined their pricing structures, and ultimately, you talked to your core supporters to understand where the company went wrong. What did they tell you? Uh, well, what the core supporters told us is, why are you discontinuing the shoes that we've had on our feet for the last 10 or 20 years uh, at work? You know, we had been told by our largest wholesale customer that we were losing our relevance in the mid 2000s which was an accurate statement so there wasn't anything wrong with that information but we we misinterpreted what to do about that what we did was we uh discontinued you know several but in particular three shoe styles four shoe styles really that that I had seen in my banking and finance career my whole my whole life and um you know, guys are replacement buyers, particularly particularly with what they wear to the office. So they like to come back to the same shoe that they wear uh, on a regular basis, have been wearing on a regular basis. And we had tried to become more relevant by going for a more European kind of fashion-forward look, uh, which would have been fine to experiment with, and we're still doing that, experimenting with new toe shapes and new looks. But we didn't need to and shouldn't have discontinued our top-selling shoes in order to make room for those new experiments. And that was the big problem, is that we had discontinued our core product line uh, in order to make room for some things that were unproven and turned out not to work that well in the marketplace. So when we did that, we didn't attract those existing core customers to our new styles. We just sent them away to go find them similar styles from somebody else. When you were cutting apart your you know, competition shoes and you were studying their price structures, what did you learn about them and you know, trans, you know, transfer it to you know, either what you guys were doing or were not doing that ultimately ended up making you guys better? Well, it's, you know, everybody goes through office of training and the armed forces knows you've got to understand your competition, your enemy, your adversary and what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And there really wasn't enough of that uh, at Allen Edmonds in the past. We were up in making shoes on the shores of Lake Michigan, north of Milwaukee, and, and not really going down to Chicago, New York, San Francisco, and and shopping uh, what the competition was doing. And so, you know, I had us get competitor shoes, bring them up, and see how they're made. And you know, in terms of what we learned, we learned that we make shoes, we – the Goodyear Welt system of manufacturing that we use is the best shoe manufacturing in the world. 
a lot of shoes that sell for way more than ours are made with construction methods that that lead to shoes wearing out much faster and you know not being able to be resold later on so you know we learned a lot about the difference in in how we make shoes compared to how these other companies make shoes do they use a shank in the middle of their shoe or not how do they finish um one of the things that we really needed to do a few years ago and we're still working at it you know you never stop trying to get better just like in the game of golf um is uh, we need to be better about the finishings on our shoes. And we came out with a couple of new leather colors that, that by paying attention to what was going on in the marketplace, really uh, at first caught us up to what others were doing, but then ultimately had us become leaders in some new colors of leathers, brown colors of leathers in particular that uh, people are liking to wear today. You know, when I was starting my career, a lot of I had two bosses, both of whom joked that they would never hire anybody who didn't wear black shoes to work. But uh, the world has changed quite a bit now in business fashion. You can wear brown shoes to work even on a board meeting day. A lot of people do, as long as the, it's the right brown for the right color suit. Well, I was talking to our announcer, Joe Lajanusa, about you coming on the show. And he relayed a story about his 9-to-5 boss, who is uh, one of your loyal customers, now, you know, Allen Edmonds isn't the least expensive brand of shoes out in the market, but as Joe relayed the story, he said his boss bought a pair of Allen Edmonds shoes five years ago, and those shoes look as good today as the day he bought them. So I'm guessing part of the strategy is, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we may not be the cheapest, but we're going to be, you know, a shoe of, you know, great value that you're going to be able to, you know, continue to wear for a very long period of time, and it's going to hold its value and its look over that period of time. Is that right? Exactly. We, uh, we've we had two slogans uh, while I've been there. The first one was the Great American Shoe Company. Less than 2% of the shoes that are bought in the United States in a given year were made in our country. So we're one of the last men standing in that regard, uh, making shoes in this country. And, you know, the second one is an American original uh, second slogan. And it, our goal is to really do what our country has done at, when it's at its best, is do things that no other country would do, go above and beyond people's expectations or even hopes. Uh, you know, it sounds kind of corny, but uh, it really drives all of us at Allen Edmonds to, to live up to that kind of high uh, ethos, so to speak. So um, our shoes, the difference between our shoes and the best shoes you could possibly buy at, which cost over a thousand dollars is very small relative to size of the cost differential, and the difference between the quality of our shoes and shoes that might cost fifty to a hundred dollars less is quite substantial relative to that cost differential. So we're trying to provide the best investment in high quality classic shoe wear that anybody could find, and uh, the. We end up getting shoes sent back to us for recrafting. Actually, anybody saw the Wall Street Journal on Friday, there was a story about service um, uh, that uh, service of apparel and shoe products that people will do to keep things looking uh, brand new long after they've been worn in. And uh, we were featured there as, as our, our recrafting service where we'll take shoes and recraft them um, 
completely rebuild the shoe from the bottom up for somebody and make them look like, wow. and that'll keep shoes lasting for many years. We sometimes get shoes sent to us from the 70s for a third recrafting wow. or a second recrafting. So these are great investments. You'll you'll never be sorry you spent the extra 50 to to $100 for these shoes. Right, and to and to that point, you know, you know, I was amazed. You have a 212-step handcrafted process. Talk about the process you guys go through to make those shoes. Well, it's uh, it is very handcrafted. You know, every now and then someone will get a a uh, shoe that's not perfect, and they'll you know question whether we've changed our standards. We're still making them the way we've made them since 19. 19- 22. There's been a little change in the middle of the process to use one machine that pulls the upper down over the mold around which a shoe is made. It's called a last, L-A-S-T. And, uh, you know, we do the lasting now with pneumatic press machines. But otherwise, the method of making these shoes is very, very much the same as it's been since 1922. Very handcrafted, very human all the way along. 212 steps. They're actually more like 250. Good number. <laughs> That's cool, Paul. You know, I. You know, I, anyone who knows or listens to this show knows I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan, and and uh, you guys produce golf shoes, hats, gloves, socks, blankets, and a lot of other accessories uh, with the Jack Nicholas brand on them. How did you guys uh, start out working with Mr. Nicholas? You know, it's a funny story. Some of the best things in life uh, happen totally, uh, you know, by a twist of fate and luck. I was uh, with our head of marketing. We each had been invited to go to the Masters down at Augusta uh, by two separate companies, but we were hanging out together, and we made an appointment to talk to Marty Hackle, who writes the fashion column in Golf Digest, who's a great guy, uh, near the big oak tree that everybody who's been there knows about right. that's on the back side of the uh of uh the clubhouse at Augusta. And when we walked up to talk to Marty there was this six foot seven inch guy, very friendly, named Andy O'Brien, who has worked for Jack most of his career and is responsible for Jack's uh licensing. And we started talking to him. Marty introduced us and he's a very friendly guy. He's become a very good friend. He said, why don't you think about doing something with Jack? And I said, you know, Jack's my golf hero, has been most of my life. You know, I could wax on about this, the battle in the sun in uh, 77 at Turnberry, but, you know, especially about the 86 Masters. Right. But um, all, your re- all your listeners know about that stuff. But anyway, so uh, uh, I said to Andy, you know, we're a small company and we can't really afford that kind of sponsorship. And he said, you know, Jack's way more concerned today about the quality of the people he associates with than he is about the amount of money he's making. He said, um, you guys are, you know, great American brand. You sell your shoes to a lot of people Jack knows and, uh, you know, thinks very highly of. And, um, you know, we think it'd be a great association. You, You both of us stand for quality and achievement. And I couldn't believe he was saying that, but um, we ended up going down to West Palm Beach and walking in and uh, sitting with Jack. And um, I don't want to keep talking on and on, Chris, but there's one story that I just love to tell about meeting with Jack the first time, if you got another couple of minutes. Okay, so uh, we walk in, and 
actually Jack was walking around the office and we bumped into him before we'd been introduced and uh he's shorter than I thought. In fact the first thing he said to me, I'm six foot three and the first thing he said to me is that he used to be taller but the strain on his back and and his discs have really shrunk so he's shorter than he used to be. But I thought it was kind of awkward that uh I was intimidating Jack for the first two seconds of our or one second of our exposure. <laughs> because I sure was intimidated. But I, I asked him at the end, and this is something I'll never forget. Um, I just read an article about how Luke Donald had uh, talked to Jack and tried to get the secret on how you win major championships. And, and you know, I mentioned that I had read that article, and, and I said, what did you tell him? And he said, well, you know, I just told him what you need to do if you want to keep your head in the game and win a major championship. I said, yeah, that's what the article said, but what – Beyond that, what did you actually say to him? And he said, oh, well, nobody's ever asked for the for the detail before. And I was dying to hear it. And he said, well, it's just like in business or in other things in life, you don't take risks that would cause you, if they don't turn out right, to lose the tournament or to lose your business or to wreck your family life. He said, you, uh, you only take the risks that you can survive. So, you know, a lot of guys get into a position where they – have a chance to win a tournament and they'll start going more aggressively at tens or trying to hold the lead by extending the lead. He said, I took risks, but I would never take risks uh, that, um, that would cause me to put me out of the tournament, which I thought was uh, very good advice for one thing. It was very right. interesting. And then he, he told a story about, um, I think it was the, U.S. Amateur, it was at Pebble Beach. It was a tournament at Pebble Beach. And he said, you know, like like everybody, you learn your good judgment from, from mistakes you make. He said that he uh, came up the 18th hole. Uh, if he birdied it, he would win. If he um, parred it, he would be in, be in a tie. Um, and he ended up uh, going for his birdie putt pretty aggressively. And he rolled it four feet past and then missed the comebacker and made bogey. And he said, you know, the guy who actually ended up winning the tournament was not somebody Jack would fear in an 18th hole playoff the next day. He thought his chances would have been very good to win in an 18th hole, play, 18 hole playoff, but he tried to win it right there on the 18th green by being aggressive on his birdie putt and instead ended up not getting into that playoff. And he said, you know, that was sort of the, the beginning of him hitting putts so that they die right at the hole and, and uh, all the things that he was famous for in his fantastic putty. So there that's you go. a great story. Yeah, 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 that's a great story. I'm talking with uh, Paul Grandgard, president and CEO of the Allen Edmonds Shoe Company. Got uh, Chris Kosky from Callaway Golf hanging on the line. We're going to get to uh, Chris here in just a moment. Paul, a couple more before we let you go. You know, talking about the Nicholas Golf Shoe, I love the classic look that you guys have with the Nicholas Golf Shoes. And I noticed they're all spikeless soles. So you got a traditional look, but a non-traditional sole. Was that an Alan Edmonds design that Mr. Nicholas liked, or did he come up with that? That was Mr. Nicholas. I actually thought that, you know, given Jack's great legacy to the game of golf, uh, that we ought to work hard at bringing back classic spiked golf shoes. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who, who really like spike golf shoes, and, and Jack said, "No, let's. You don't need spikes uh, to play golf. You just need some good traction on the grass, but 
spikes are not really necessary, and and uh, that's not where the game is going. So let's be modern, let's be relevant, and let's go with what everybody's looking for. And he wanted to go for a spikeless shoe. So uh, that was quite a surprise to me, but we changed our plans, and we're now on our second spikeless sole. Uh, the first one worked really well, but we thought there was work due, so we have now what we call Jack Nicholas 2.0. It's a different sole, and uh, uh, candidly, it's a higher-quality shoe construction. Uh, we brought those shoes into our plant in Port Washington now. We're making them right there and right along the same line with our uh, Park Avenue our best-dressed shoes that are worn by the President of the United States and everybody else around the world. Now, you guys don't use his traditional Golden Bear logo. You went with a a silhouette of him making the putt on 17 during the 86 Masters. What made you guys go and change the logo or come up with that logo? Well, you know, we're not a private label manufacturer. We're a a full-fledged brand on our own, so we want to something to indicate this was a partnership between the two of us rather than what, you know, might happen in other situations where you've got a famous brand and, and a, a plant that may not make anything in their own name is making product for that famous brand. So we wanted to have a joint brand and I just, I, I got to tell you, I'm sure you feel the same way. The 86 masters is probably my favorite moment in sports with this. Absolutely. You know, I'm a sentimentalist. Uh, one of the great things about getting to know, of course, is you get to know the Nicholas family. And, uh, you know, Barbara is as terrific as everybody says she is. And Jackie, Jack, too, is a fantastic guy. And, you know, they have Jack on his bag and Jack, two on his bag. And, and Jack, one, playing the uh, tournament the way he did and winning the way he did in 86 it was just a great moment. And uh, so I wanted to harken back to that. I also think it's it's a uh, silhouette that every golfer knows, and uh, I like that okay. a lot about it, too. Uh, agreed. I think it's fantastic. I'm a size 9, medium width, by the way, just in case you have any of those, you know, golf shoes uh, you don't know what to do with, just throwing that out there. Text, I'll me, be, text uh, me your address, Chris. Text me your address. You'll get them. <laughs> I appreciate you. Paul, before we let you go, we got Father's Day right around the corner. For our listeners who want to get something great for Dad that's going to keep him smiling for years to come, what should they be looking at on your uh, on your site, alanedmonds.com? Well, we have a lot of stuff for sports enthusiasts. Uh, one of the things that we've brought in, we're now the largest seller around the country of Memento Cufflinks, where this company we work with called Tokens and Icons has taken – wood from Fenway Park, from Yankee Stadium, from Wrigley Field, from a lot of the great old stadiums around wow. the country, and out of those stadiums and replaced now with hard plastic. The original wood ones, they've cut them up and put them in sterling silver settings, and uh, they're fantastic. They look like very high-quality cufflinks, and they are. But then when you're sitting next to somebody at a at a business dinner and conversation turns to uh, – your your pastimes, you can point to your cufflinks and say Fenway Park. And uh, there you especially go. if it's if it's a Red Sox Nation fan, you're gonna have a lot of fun with that. But in Jack's line, you know, other than the shoes, it's just the hat. I, I wear my Nicholas hat with that emblem you were talking about all the time on the front of it and I get people asking me all the time, Where'd you get that hat? who don't know what I do. Because they just 
love the idea of having a very simple yes. jet. Uh, and so, you know, the hat is great. Socks are made in the USA also. They're, uh, frankly, they're uh, the same socks that uh, the company that makes them for us, Wigwam, in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they sell them as Iron Man socks in other iterations. But So they're very good socks uh, with Jack's image on the top of them also. So uh, for a Nicholas fan, you know, the hat, the socks, the golf glove, uh, all the way up to the shoes. Man, yeah. and let me uh, and let me just further that point because I'm a big fan. You know, not only Mr. Nicholas but Alan Edmonds. I have the navy blue hat. Wore it uh, last weekend at uh, my annual golf outing with my buddies. Right? I bought the glove a couple weeks ago. This morning I placed an order for a pair of those socks and the white hat. So, big fan of all of that stuff. Great stuff on AlanEdmonds.com. Paul, it's been a huge thrill for me to have the opportunity to get to talk to you. I hope you'll come back. And uh, and join me again sometime. Love to stay up to date with all the uh, all the wonderful things you guys are going you're doing and and uh, and talk more. Maybe you know as Nicholas fans, maybe we can share some more uh, fun stories together. I'd love to. It'd be a real privilege. Uh, thanks very much for having me on today. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And and just a, a quick you know you talked about it at the beginning. I didn't I didn't want to forget the 71st anniversary D Day. You guys have got a boot coming out as well. Talk about that really quickly. All right, we, uh, you know, I toured D-Day last year, or the D-Day beaches last year with my wife. We went to Normandy, and uh, at the same time, our head of production was working on a vintage boot that looked very much like a paratrooper boot. Uh, it's not an exact replica, but it's very close, and it's got a vintage sole on it. It's really very cool-looking boot. And so we named it the Normandy in honor of uh, all of our great men and women who served in the armed services and especially those who fell on uh, June 6, 1944. Paul, thank you again for for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. I, like I say, I hope I get the opportunity to talk with you again really soon. You're fantastic. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. All the best to you and everyone at Allen Edmonds. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. Paul Grandgard, President and CEO of Allen Edmonds. Fantastic stuff, folks. And uh, for like for everyone who's a Nicholas fan out there like I am, you got to take a look at AllenEdmonds.com and take a look at all the great stuff they have. Hats, you know, uh, the shoes, the socks. You got belts out there from from Mr. Nicholas from '86 to you know '75 to '73. I mean, great '63. Great stuff out there for every Nicholas fan. And uh, the shoes, a great value. And like I say. You know, those are shoes that you're going to buy today that five, six, seven, eight years from now are going to look as good as they did the day they came out of the box. Maybe a little broken in, but they're still going to look fantastic. Check them out, alanedmonds.com. All right, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is a uh, is, is a very patient man, and I can't thank him enough for being patient with me, and that's Chris Kosky. Chris, Chris is the Global Director of Product Strategy for Callaway Golf focused on their Odyssey putters and wedges. He's been with Callaway since uh, 2005. Chris earned his uh, BA degree in communications and advertising from San Diego State. And uh, thanks to Chris's, you know, uh, you know, a, a gentleman by the name of Neil Javins, a, uh, you know, a sporting, uh, a, he's out there today sporting an Odyssey tattoo uh, on his uh, on his forearm. Thanks to Chris because uh, of a promotion that uh, he threw out there for a customized odyssey punter to show for his efforts which is fantastic chris thanks for being next on the tee with me this morning thanks for having me chris i wasn't sure that anyone knew about that tattoo 
<laughs> so we got to hear it. Tell the story. How did that happen? Uh, so, you know, I, I frequent a lot of the different blog sites just to, you know, keep a, a heartbeat on the, the industry, if you will. And, um, you know, we do a lot of special putters for tour players and, you know, we've got the ability to do so much and, you know, trying to get it out in the marketplace and just create some buzz is, is always a little bit difficult. Um, but with this one specifically, I, we had a cool putter that was sitting around and I just hopped on works and, you know, there was a conversation going on around, you know, fans of companies. And I said, well, you know, first person to, to get a tattoo of the Odyssey logo, send me the picture and then we'll do a, a special one-off putter for you. And, surprisingly to me about four or five people jumped in and said they'd get one and they're like looking for a new piece of art looking for this looking for that and within a couple of days neil had uh posted some pictures online of a uh, the odyssey swirl tattoo and sure enough we got him the putter uh about a year later i was able to meet neil and play golf with them and you know it's so cool being able to meet our fans and uh it was just a, a fun little promotion um like i said i was surprised anyone really knew about it not too many people did uh, but it was a cool thing to do and, and being able to meet neil and become friends with him after that was a lot of fun that's fantastic so chris you're now the global director of product strategy for the odyssey putters and for callaway's wedges and we'll get to the wedges in a moment but Talk about what makes Odyssey Putter so unique in the marketplace and so sought after. Well, when I first started working on Odyssey, it was about six, seven years ago. Um, you know, obviously, pretty lucky to to jump on to the the number one putter in golf, and you know it's got such a great history. And you know, from our inserts, which have really put us on the map, the putters like two ball. Um, you know, it's kind of a marriage of, of art and science. And I was talking with our head designer, Austin Rollinson, yesterday about it. And, you know, we're concepting products out into the future. Um, you know, it's not just paying attention to science like uh, you might with a driver and just trying to hit launch characteristics and, and things like that. But it's, it's also understanding the game, how people putt, watching people putt, getting feedback. And there's a lot of intricacies that that go into that that we all do subconsciously when we putt that we may not know about. And, you know, we've had technologies like Versa, uh, our alignment technology, come out of that, which, you know, a lot of people when they first look at it maybe don't understand why it's working for them. Uh, but subconsciously, we're all making one little last adjustment before we putt to, to make sure that the face is perpendicular to the target. So, you know, I, I think it's just it's getting out there and, and putting, and, and obviously that's the fun part of my job is being able to uh, to get out there and play golf and, and learn things every day. And, you know, what? one of the cool things about doing this show and having a, a great friend like Sean McKeel, who's going to join me here a little bit later in the show, Chris, I get a text message from Sean. I've been an Odyssey putter. I've been playing an Odyssey putter since 2010, so there's a – there's a uh, an endorsement from uh, from a major champion, so that's fantastic. Good for Sean. Good for you. Yeah, and I love the thing about Sean is, uh, you know, a lot of players can get stuck with more of a traditional putter, and Sean wasn't afraid to try different things. And that's one of the things that we've prided ourselves on is we've come out with different innovations. Um, they may not always look conventional. Uh, in fact, they can look downright weird sometimes. And and, and you know, a player like Sean was wasn't afraid to to put 
those types of putters in play. And he actually played our backstrike putter for, for quite some time and had a lot of success with it. And so, you know, those are the kind of relationships that we have with the tour players. It's fun to see guys who are who are willing to, to try things that work and, and not necessarily afraid of what people might say about them. There you go. Yeah. You know, Chris, I'm not sure anything could get me away from my Seymour putter, but I was in the uh, PGA Tour Superstore a couple of weeks ago, and I tried out, you speak about the Versa, I tried out the Odyssey Versa 330M, and boy, what that thing felt so buttery smooth. Talk about the Versa line of putters. <laughs> so the Versa line uh, launched in 2013, and, you know, we, we have these serendipitous moments in product development where things kind of all come together and, you know, it started actually probably the back half of 2010, maybe early 2011. Uh, we had a designer that was working on a, a putter that was multi-materials. It was actually three different materials. So it kind of had a front piece, a middle piece, and a back piece. And we started, you know, talking about the concept. Our head of R&D, Alan Hotnell, came into the room and said, hey, he's spending a lot of time on this. Uh, do we want to keep going on it? Let's let's just sit and talk about it. So we took a look at the project, and you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, what we thought we'd be able to do with that particular concept, we'd be selling five, six hundred dollar putters, of which the market tends to be a little bit smaller up there, and it wasn't focused on alignment. And a couple of us in the room uh, took a look at the putter and saw that line down the middle, and thought that it could be a cool alignment tool. A lot of people use the leading edge of the putter and making sure that it's perpendicular to your target. Um, whether they know it or not, uh, a lot of people just use the little sight line on a putter to figure out where to put the ball versus the putter. Um, so we asked the, the engineer at that point, we said, well, I'll just go mock one of these up if you wouldn't mind. And uh, I, as people know me well, I don't have a lot of patience from time to time. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, I was sitting in my office, and I had an all-black putter, and then I pulled out some white out and painted the middle of it. And uh, we've got a, a great down here in San Diego called Mission Bay, and it's got light. So I went out and played there after work. And under the lights, it accentuated it even more because the, the whiteout was just kind of shining at me. But uh, I was able to, to really get a good gauge for where the face was. But not only that, I can kind of you know, see that line going back and forth in my stroke and really groove a stroke. And I putted amazing that night. Uh, so I brought the putter back to, to Austin, our designer, and said, Austin, I think we've got something here. And... Um, you know, it progressed through testing and, and U.S. tour uh, over in Europe and Japan. We uh, we had called it Project Oreo at the time, uh, so <laughs> I thought it was funny and really resonated globally. The Japanese players uh, talked about that being the number one selling biscuit, which is their word for cookie. Um, and it, it sat on the shelf for a little while until Chip Brewer came to the company and said, all right, what do you guys got? And we showed him the Oreo putter and... Uh, he loved it immediately, and we were in market by January of 2013, and uh, it quickly became the best-selling putter in the world. So it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic story. I'm talking to uh, Chris Kosky, global director of product strategy for Callaway Golf, focused on their Odyssey putters and their wedges. Chris, talk about the use of counterbalance weight that you guys are using in some of your putters and the top of the grip. Is that 
counterbalance something that uh, you guys are going to use to help make guys that are sort of used to anchoring the putter get more, feel more stability when they putt and uh, kind of help them with the transition? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I can go into a long story about the first proposal of the anchoring band and, and where I was and what I was doing. I remember it that clearly, but, um, wow. and I think it, 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 that challenged us a little bit. That was November 27th, 2012, by the way. Um, wow. Very nice. That, that, yeah, uh, belly putters were, were really coming on strong. Uh, you know, the PGA championship won with our saber tooth putter, and they quickly became about 25 to 30% of the sales in the market. And, um, when when the announcement of the first proposed ban came about, it, it really dried up the market quickly. Um, and so it, it challenged us a little bit. And, you know, while I try and look at the bright side of everything, uh, it, it forced us to look at different ways of uh, of helping golfers out who who might get a little yippy from time to time, who who aren't the smoothest uh, from a transition standpoint. So we came out with two concepts in in a few weeks actually, and you know counterbalancing has been around for you know, hundreds of years really, um, but it was how we did it that I think makes ours a little bit different. You know we didn't just throw a weight at the end of the putter. Uh, we took up the mass of the entire putter. So the first Tank putter is uh, the name that we gave it. We came out with, with a 400-gram head. Uh, we brought out a 135-gram shaft, a 110-gram grip, and then we threw a 40-gram weight in the back end and made it 38 inches. And the idea was being able to get that weight over the hands a little bit. And you know, we like to have it about two or three inches over the hands typically. And increasing the mass of the entire club, raise the MOI of the entire club, that really help people just with a little bit of a smoother stroke. And, you know, from that day to now, uh, counterbalance putters are representing about 30% of the sales in the marketplace, believe it or not. It's, uh, wow. it's been an interesting ride. Yeah. Some of the, some of the other things that have come, you know, your guys way, Chris, you know, the, you've got the Odyssey metal X milled putter, the Odyssey tank cruiser and the, and the works Versa putters all were, you know, gold rated putters this year on the golf digest hot list. Talk about the, the technology and the materials, particularly in the metal X milled and the tank cruiser putters that you guys have. Yeah. So again, you know, we're trying to look at every aspect of the putter and, Sometimes I get in trouble with the finance guys because we're, you know, we throw the kitchen sink at it. And um, we're always looking for all the little benefits that we can. And, and when we came out the Metal X milled line of putters, we said, well, we can do just a, an all milled putter that's fairly easy to do. Um, that starts falling into the artwork of the shapes and, and things like that. But uh, we wanted to bring technology to an all milled putter, which you haven't seen as much in the marketplace. Uh, so, you know, uh, hats off to our engineering team and really developing the processes in order to get that done. Um, so on the face of the putter, we, we put our, our, our patented metal X pattern on there, which really just helps create friction between the ball and, and the putter face and specifically the rounded edges with the dimples on the golf ball. Um, but, but I think the, the cool thing about that one was the process of which it was done and, you know, to do that with a, a standard milling machine uh, was was really blowing out our cycle times and was going to drive the cost up 
to, again, to a point where we probably wouldn't be able to commercialize that product. So while the entire head is milled 1020 carbon steel, uh, with the face specifically, we use a process called chemical etching or chem, chem milling, where we put a controlled amount of chemicals on the face um, you know, with a template so that it comes in those that oval shapes. And it really gives us a precise way to cut into the metal, give us really nice, clean edges, and, and uh, give us the ability to bring that roll technology to a milled putter. Uh, the other thing about that putter was we, we wanted to bring adjustable weighting uh, to the product. And, you know, other guys have adjustable weights in their putters, but if you want to try and find the weights, and I was in a golf shop in, in Michigan last weekend, and heard a guy coming in asking for one of our competitors' uh, weight kit. And Thor said, oh, well, we don't have that. you got to find that on eBay or direct or however. Um, you know, I kind of shouted out to him that, yeah, well, ours come with it if you'd like to purchase an Odyssey putter. Um, but we wanted to make sure that, you know, if we were going to offer adjustable weights, that we were going to offer the kit along with it and people can play around with it. And, you know, adjustability is such a big thing in the market. Um, we see it in drivers and fairway woods and, and some hybrids of recent times, uh, that we wanted to bring that ability and let people fine-tune the putters to themselves. Um, Great. That led us also to the Tank Cruiser putter, uh, yeah. which is the, the first kind of truly adjustable counterbalance putter uh, on both ends. So, uh, you know, the stock putter weight is 375 grams, but we're able with a, a weight kit to bring the putter head up to 385 or down to 365. And we partnered with Superstroke on a grip uh, that had a hole in the back end, and we've got a, a weight receptacle in the butt end of the putter uh, where we have weights of 5, 15, and 30 grams. So you can fine-tune um, really the, the entire balance of the putter. And, you know, I, I got some, some funny stares when I presented the concept the first time to, to our senior management team. Um, and they said, well, no one's going to change that. No one's, you know, they're not going to take the time to do it. And we did some post-purchase uh, research, and 67% of the guys who had bought the butter changed the weights more than twice after purchase, which is ah, far that? more than... Yeah, far more than people actually adjust their drivers after purchase. It was, you know, with drivers, we've kind of seen some research of set it and forget it. Uh, and, you know, with the putters, we've seen a lot of movement and a lot of tinkering around and, you know, a lot of success with it. Lydia Coe's been using the, the 330 mallet version of the Cruiser uh, quite well over the past couple of years here. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Again, talking with uh, Chris Kosky, Global Director of Product Strategy for Callaway Golf, focused on their Odyssey putters and their wedges. I've got my next guest, David Meltzer, patiently hanging on the line. Going to get to Dave in just a minute. Chris, before we let you go, you guys recently came out with the new PM Grind wedges just uh, a few weeks ago. What is PM Grind, and how is it different from the grooves you guys have used on your previous wedges? So the PM Grind is probably, now it is the most fun wedge I've ever had, and it's the most fun project I've worked on since being at Callaway. Uh, we've got the benefit of having two very special people in the short game um, work for us. Uh, Phil Mickelson being one of them. Who, right. when you talk to Roger, when you talk to Roger Cleveland, he says he is the best wedge player of all time. And Roger's worked with with all the greats, uh, including going back to Stevie. And, and Roger and I had this conversation the other day of how how special Phil really is. Uh, unique thing about Phil is, is Phil is 
incredibly, incredibly smart. Uh, and, you know, he likes to look at his product and, and tries to get advantages any way that he can, um, not just from, uh, you know, going out to the course and practicing harder than, than most golfers, but really looking at every aspect of his game. And then, of course, we have Roger. And, you know, Roger is an absolute legend. And, you know, being able to work with him day in, day out, and learning everything, uh, that I can from him has been special for me in my career. Uh, but those two came together. You know, Phil Phil was looking for an extra advantage at the PGA Championship last year, and he wanted to see uh, a wedge that was a little bit more like one of the wedges that he's had in the past, but he wanted some tweaks made to it. Uh, he knew the conditions were going to be soft, fluffy. He knew there was going to be some crown greens. He was going to be short-sighted from time to time. And... You know, some of the things that, that people don't know about Phil, when Phil takes a, a 30-yard flop shot swing, he's swinging about 80, 85 miles per hour. And that's hard for a lot wow. of us to fathom, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he likes to be really aggressive with it. And with a typical size wedge, uh, he was always afraid that if he's that aggressive of a swing, he was going to slide underneath it. And so him and Roger got together um, with one of our current Mac Daddy 2 wedges, uh, they cut the toe off of another one and kind of made this Franken wedge that they welded together. And um, it, it wasn't pretty. Uh, the wedge is actually sitting in my office right now. And I look at is it from right? time to time. Yeah. And I think how, how ugly it really was. And it didn't have grooves all the way up to the top. And I mean, it was, um, it's a piece of work. Um but from that, that was kind of the, the first piece. And obviously, Phil played pretty well at the PGA Championship last year. Right. Um, so we had a talk. We wanted to bring it to market. And, you know, from that point on, Phil was down at our test center. And that's one of the great things that we, we have access to is Phil lives about 20 minutes away from our test center. So he was down every two or three weeks looking at different prototypes that we had, and, you know, working on the leading edge, you know, looking at the grind, uh, shaping the toe, looking at the groove pattern and taking the grooves all the way across to the toe. And, and he was very specific about that. And, and that's what we haven't seen with many wedges in the past. Uh, you know, we've all had that shot where we're short-sided near the green and the rough and we hit a flop shot of some sort, we open up the face, and then we see that ball mark, whether it's in the sand or in the rough, we see that mark that's out really close to the toe, but it's usually a little bit high, and there's no grooves there. And of any shot that you want a lot of spin, that's the one. Uh, and so having grooves there uh, makes all the sense in the world. And I presented this wedge to uh, I don't know how many hundreds right. of people now. And and that's kind of that aha moment, like why didn't anyone do that before? Uh, and in a game, you know, we've seen some wedges go uh, with the grooves all the way out to the face, but I've seen it in recent times. So, you know, that was one of the biggest things to fill um, and, and kind of the most exciting things for us is we we brought that wedge to market. Uh, it's got the Mac Daddy grooves in there, which has kind of become a staple of our line. And you know, our wedge business has had a lot of success over the last couple of years, and, and this wedge is, is really helping drive it further. Uh, it's become the number one selling wedge in our line. It, it just launched two weeks ago. And uh, the initial sales have been absolutely phenomenal. So, uh, you know, credit to Phil and Roger for being creative and and not giving up to try and keep improving clubs. Yeah, no, that's fantastic stuff. Chris, how can have our listeners follow? 
I have not. I would love to, but I have not. Oh, we'll have to get one out to you. I mean, it, again, I've, I've traveled around the U.S. and the world this year showing that wedge to people, and the first time people hit it, it's uh, it's a revelation of, of sorts and, and the things that they can do and uh, the amount of different shots. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, I can't I can't wait to try to hit it. Thank you very much. I look forward to uh, giving it a test drive. Yeah, Chris, absolutely. Chris, how, how, how can our listeners follow you and Callaway Golf online and over social media? Well, our company is uh, taking a little different approach to social media, and we're, uh, we've got a lot of people from the team uh, with different Twitter accounts uh, to be as socially engaged as possible. But I'm at, uh, at Odyssey underscore Twitter. Or excuse me, underscore Koski, sorry, K-O-S-K-E. And, um, you know, if you're interested in, in putters and seeing different prototypes and things like that or talking Golden State Warriors basketball, uh, <laughs> that tends, tends to be my trending Twitter topic. Um, yeah, go. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on, on a regular basis. And, you know, I'll sneak into some of the golf blogs and have conversations with guys in there and um, and, you know, uh, I'm I'm out there for people to talk to. If you ever have any questions, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. That's fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. You're great. I hope uh, I hope we, we have the opportunity to uh, catch up with you again soon because I uh, love the conversation and love to stay up to date on all the great things you guys are working on. Yeah, anytime, Chris, and thanks for having me on. And if if you ever need anything, give us a call. I appreciate it. Chris, all the best to you and uh, everyone at Callaway Golf. Look forward to catching up again soon. Take care. All right, you too, Chris. Thanks a lot. Chris Koski, again, Global Director of Product Strategy for uh, Callaway Golf, focusing on their Odyssey putters and wedges. Look forward to hitting that uh, PM grind. That's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to have uh, Chris back on the uh, show again real soon. All right, now uh, back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line, being very, very patient, is Sports One Marketing CEO and best-selling author David Meltzer. Dave's book, Connected to Goodness, Manifest Everything You Desire in Business and in Life, continues to fly out of Amazon's warehouse and off the shelves at uh, bookstores around the country. He is positively impacting people's lives all over the world through his company, Sports One Marketing, and his partnership with NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. He recently launched uh, the Meltzer Mission and MeltzerMission.com which has a wonderful message for folks every single day. And I'm not sure there's a busier person or a more jam-packed schedule than the one that Dave has. So I'm very glad he was able to be patient with me this morning and is joining me next on the tee. Good morning, Dave. How are you this morning? I'm awesome. Thanks so much. And it's no no problem. You're well worth the wait, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate you. Dave, I wanted to start out this morning talking about a recent visit uh, that uh, you and Warren Moon had at NASA of all places. You guys spoke there, and uh, uh, for anyone who hasn't watched that video and that performance, you can find it on Dave's uh, page, uh, the Connected to Goodness Facebook page. Dave, can you share a little bit about what you and Warren were talking about with the folks at NASA? Yeah, you know, we're involved with NASA and the Beating the Odds Foundation, which has a program called Quarterbacks for Life. And Warren uh, has been a quarterback for life uh, for for a while, and I recently joined. Uh, obviously, it's on and off the field if uh, I'm involved, <laughs> mostly the off the field since I can't throw a football. Uh, but it's teaching uh, the principles uh, that I discuss in my book in a variety of ways to help empower kids uh, to 
live and achieve everything that they dream of. And I think no better place or venue to do that than at NASA. Uh, and it was amazing. Uh, they each had a project about going to Mars, and uh, we had this great project where the kids each took on each took on some sort of uh, idea that would help the astronauts uh, make this mission to Mars. And it was absolutely fascinating. And the kids were intelligent, charismatic, motivated, and um, we, we uh, really had a great time and just met amazing people and amazing kids. So uh, we encourage anyone to participate in the Beating the Odds Foundation uh, program that they have across the country. In a couple of weeks, you're going to be at the uh, ESPN LA Golf Classic at the uh, Los Coitos Country Club in uh, Buena Park, uh, California. What are you guys doing there? You know, we're working with ESPN. Uh, we have a great celebrity tournament, uh, once again, uh, raising money for the Crescent Moon Foundation, scholarships for kids, uh, getting everyone out there, raising awareness. You know, it's just amazing to me uh, with the billions of dollars spent in a variety of different ways from our government that. Uh, we, we just can't find more money uh, for the most important thing, our future. And if anyone's a mistake in our future, our children and educating those children are the most essential thing that we have to do. You guys are also going to be at the ESPY Awards next month, which is you know one of my favorite events to watch every year because of the tie-in with the V Foundation and the speech that Jim Valvano made when he received the Arthur Ashe Award many years ago. Maybe one of the greatest speeches of all time. It's certainly my favorite, and the V Foundation is a charity near and dear to my heart. Talk about what it's like to be a part of that event. You know, that's one of my favorite events because it's the combination of not only the greatest athletes from all sports, uh, but also entertainers. And it's so much fun for me, you know, ever since I uh, ran Lee Steinberg and then now with Sports One, to see the integration, and I have, you know, a great perspective of every athlete wants to be an entertainer, every entertainer wants to be an athlete, so when you get them together, it's a mutual admiration society, and uh, it's one of the funnest events uh, for one of the best causes, you know, uh, the V Foundation uh, represents one of my favorite uh, types of philosophies, which is practice persistence of uh, perspective, and you know that's what Jimmy V was able to do as a coach, uh, winning the national championship, and then furthermore, uh, in his life, uh, in his fight against cancer, and raising awareness uh, to fight cancer, and someday, uh, as he said, to practice the persistence of perspective uh, that we can cure cancer, which is the number one killer in, in, in the world. As I mentioned in your intro, Dave, you recently launched uh, the Meltzer Mission and your site, MeltzerMission.com. Remind our listeners what inspired you to do so and what they can find on your site. You know, uh, the Meltzer Mission uh, has uh, these challenges, and I started with a gratitude challenge. And uh, I do uh, mission meetings uh, around the country for corporations and for individuals where we take the micro missions of life, the different things that we have to do, as I say, at this vibration and in this world. You know, it's it's this utopian philosophy where people say, oh, we can live in, in a non-judgmental world with no conditions. And there's this, you know, ethereal, utopic vision of, of being good and happy. But what I like to do is take it down to the pragmatic world, the one where we have bills to pay and we have families to support and we have things to do and t-ball games to go to and all of these things. And so we, we want everyone to have this perspective of gratitude and empathy. So uh, 
as our friend from Callaway was talking about, how they have the subconscious alignment in their putters, uh, which is how I play golf. Uh, subconsciously, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> what, what, <laughs> it's the only way I can because I have no conscious talent. But the subconscious uh, side of it, uh, we need to train, and we do that uh, utilizing a process of understanding gratitude in 30 straight days. So I, I have a challenge. Uh, we're launching an app to remind you and to do other things to be thankful, but simply by saying thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up, you can change your life. And if you do it 30 straight days, it goes into your subconscious. And our subconscious are far, far more powerful uh, than our conscious. And um, that's really what the Meltzer mission is about, is uh, proliferating these mission meetings to provide people access and a platform to be happy uh, and to empower others to be happy. That's fantastic stuff. Another thing you did not that long ago, Dave, that uh, is – fantastic for me was you threw out the first pitch at the uh at an la angels game and for our listeners who haven't seen the video uh it wasn't a lollipop throw nor was it a pitch that we see so many stars do which is kind of bounce it up in there it was it was a strike right down the middle catcher barely moved his glove at all so kudos to you but talk about that experience you know uh it was an amazing experience for me uh i i am blessed people ask me you know what's on your bucket list, Dave? And I said, no, you know, if it's on my bucket list, I just add it to my job description. So uh, one of the things <laughs> that I thought about was throwing this first pitch out. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of baseball. I play a lot of baseball. Uh, even with NABA still, we had won the uh, 45 and over World Series of Baseball in Arizona. I'm not a starter, wow. but I, I, I'm more I'm on on the team, and uh, but I do have a high batting average. <laughs> uh but we 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 um you know going out there it's it was really more about this majesty of calmness that Warren Moon my business partner has taught me over the last decade it's a a thing that I wanted to work on was how do you walk out in front of 100,000 people like he did so many times and you know just focus in on the job at hand and you know for someone that doesn't play professional baseball someone that hasn't played baseball in years to to go out in front of thousands of people from the mound and throw a knuckleball strike uh it was a test more than anything else for me and when when I passed the test it was really a lot more exciting than I thought it would be and I really enjoyed it even more than I thought I would so I highly, highly suggest anyone that has the opportunity to do that or anything like that to take advantage of that experience. No, I'm sure that had to be a huge adrenaline rush, and I'm uh, yeah. very proud of you when I saw that video. I was like, wow, look at that. that had a <laughs> on it right down the middle. Catcher didn't even barely need to move the glove. That's fantastic. Good for you, Dave. Yeah, it, it was the catcher was my favorite part when I – you know, enthusiastically jogged to the to the catcher to get the ball back. Uh, you know, he said, "Was that a knuckle?" I said, "Sure was." He said, "Man, good pitch. I don't see many of those out here." <laughs> I bet that's right. Yeah, he was surprised. Hey, you guys, it was really fun. You guys have a great tie-in with Nike, and uh, they have really supported you and the charities that uh, both you and Warren Moon work with and for supplying some. Rory McIlroy drivers for some of the gifting that you guys are doing. Talk about the relationship you guys have with Nike. Yeah, so, you know, we started with Nike football uh, being in the space that we were in, and it moved to Nike baseball training and uh, and then to Nike golf. 
and uh, those uh, Nike Golf products and the Nike Golf people, more importantly, are amazing. And, you know, golf is lucky to have such visionaries. They're constantly looking at not only the technology behind golf, uh, which they have unbelievable research and development, but more importantly, they're looking at the game of golf and, and how to reinvigorate and to gain more momentum for golf itself. And and that's really uh, what excited Warren and I about this golf project is we want to get more people involved with golf. And so, you know, we have a project with One Up Golf uh, and Top Golf, uh, which provides golf to everyone. You know, it, golf, uh, even for me, who I love golf, you know, I'm the guy that goes out, uh, you know, 540 in the morning and plays nine holes or grabs my five-year-old son and plays the last tee time for an hour. Uh, but, you know, the, this one-up golf, for example, they're brand new. They have these facilities that, that make golf like Lucky Strike. It's a corporate event. It's an everybody event. They have all these games and analysis and training and retail and drinks and food, and it's just a great experience. And all it's going to do is raise the profile and awareness and enjoy enjoyment of golf the way that fantasy football has raised the uh, enjoyment and awareness and profile uh, for both men and women for football. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be uh, just a wonderful, wonderful next decade with all these <clears throat> great ideas that Nike has uh, for golf. And they also support so many kids uh, in learning golf. So that's uh, what we're doing with them. Um, so very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dave, as we look ahead to the U.S. Open, if uh, you were going to be laying down a few dollars here or there on on a winner, who would your money be on? Uh, you know, I, I'm partial. If you if you go back into our podcast, you'll know that my picks have been uh, right on. I, I have this connection. I'm, uh, the sports that I'm not very good at, I seem to do really well. Uh, in picking, for example, <laughs> I, I, I won the NCAA basketball, uh, so many different pools, and, and uh, you know, I had the Wisconsin and had the, the Final Four actually all picked. Uh, so I won a lot of those. Um, you know, I, I'm really par- partial to, to Spieth and, uh, and Rory. Uh, I, th- I think those two guys, when push comes to su- shove, uh, I, I look and see what guys at the top of their game are the best golfers in the world. And, and right now, I think those two uh, players, uh, if they play their best, they're going to win. And uh, because of their clarity, balance, and focus that they have, they seem to play their best in the in the big, big tourneys. And so I'm really excited to see those two guys play. I, I, I did find uh, on the Memorial this week uh, an interesting story, because uh, I know you and I are golf and football guys. Uh, right. Did you know? Did you know that Lingmer's uh, uncle played for the Browns? I did not. Yeah. So, so Goran Lingmer, his uncle, uh, he kicked for the Browns in 1987. And in fact, he played with one of my friends at Northern Arizona, where he set an NCAA single season, uh, single game record. He kicked eight field goals, his uncle, in one game for Northern Arizona. Wow. And uh, he's the one, Goran. Uh, after his short stint with the Browns, uh, which was probably lucky for him, he became a ping club rep and gave um, David Lingmerth his his first set of clubs when he was 12 because he was a ping club rep. There you go. Very nice story. Well, you heard it here first, my friend. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. <laughs> Dave's book, once again, is called Connected to Goodness. You can find it online at connectedtogoodness.com as well as on Amazon. 
com. Dave, thanks for joining me again this morning. I always look forward to the uh, the privilege to talk with you, and we get to do it every week on the football side on our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, and I look forward to doing it again uh, next month here on Next on the T. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me anytime, and I appreciate, of course, uh, all of our great listeners, so thank you. Uh, very much. Take care, Dave. We look forward to catching up and talking with you again real soon. Thank you. Have a great weekend. All right. You too, Dave. David Meltzer, again, Connected to Goodness. You can find it online at uh, his own site, ConnectedToGoodness.com. There's a Connected to Goodness Facebook page as well as on Amazon.com. All right. Now joining me on the Seymour Potter's guest line is a guy, again, thanks very much for being patient with me this morning, is uh, is Sean McKeel, 2003 PGA champion. He's uh, joining me as his uh, schedule permits to answer your questions so please continue to send your questions throughout the week uh, to my Twitter page at CT Mascaro, and then also to our Facebook page next on the T. And uh, Sean will be uh, is, is excited to interact with the fans, and he has been gracious enough to uh, to answer questions. And uh, certainly, I appreciate his patience this morning. Good morning, Sean. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Oh, fantastic. Thank you for hanging with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's not a problem, not a problem. There's always a, a lot of interesting things to hear and, and, uh, and say out there in golf world. Absolutely. So, Sean, let's get into the questions this week. Uh, we had several people write in with questions about Chambers Bay and the U.S. Open. Did you ever get a chance uh, to play at Chambers Bay? I've not played there, no. I, you know, I'm kind of just going on what, uh, what I'm kind of getting through Twitter and golf channel and those types of things um you know it sounds like a very interesting golf course much like uh kind of whistling straight for the pj championship is going to be held but um you know i know they did have did have a u.s amateur there a few years ago but um you know i I really don't know anything about it which probably means that if i qualify monday i'm not going to win so (laughs) if my if all that holds true that says if you if you're only going to play two practice rounds and and uh then not you know, don't have a chance to win the U.S. Open, then that's probably going to be me. And, uh, you know, I'll just jump in line with the rest of the 150-some-odd guys. I guess that's going to leave it up to Tiger and Tiger and Phil, since they're playing practice rounds. I guess it's going to be up to one of those two guys. The rest of us will just play for a second. <laughs> but see, are, you, are you going through qualifying? Might we see you out there next week? Yeah, on Monday. Monday I've got here, here in Memphis – there's a qualifier, 18 holes at my home club, so I know the course, hopefully. Wow. And um, yeah. and then 18 holes at another course called Germantown Country Club. And uh, yeah. so I'm actually out there with, uh, I don't know, one of the one of the players, but uh, Woody Austin's my – there's three of us going out there, and me and Woody are going to play together. So that'll be, that'll be fun. I haven't seen, seen Woody in a, in a little while. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many spots are going to be. There'll be uh, – you know, it's a tour event. You got tour sites at both Memphis for the FedEx St. Jude Classic next week and right. the Memorial. So the guys will stay. Most of the guys in Columbus will stay around Columbus. A lot of the guys that, you know, there'll probably be a few guys that come to Memphis, but for the most part, I think they'll stay up there. And then, uh, you know, we've probably got 115, 120 guys here playing for 15 to 18 spots. So it's, um, you know, pretty good percentage of guys that can make it. If you play well, you know, we can, you can head on over to the U.S. Open. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Germantown Country Club, my parents were members of the uh, of Germantown for many years. Lived uh, right off uh, in the the fairway on 18, so 18 is a par five dogleg right, 
and uh, they were right there on the dog leg. So uh, good yeah, luck uh, out was, there. Well, you know what? That was yeah, that was Farmington Country Club, and they used to have a uh, you know a huge national event there called the Bubba Conley, which was you know kind of a premier event for all of us junior players um, to play in, and um, it's uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's still in existence or not. If it, if it is, it's not it's not there. But um, what, what a great event! But I was yeah, I was out there two days ago. So. I uh, got to play the golf course and, and remember how tight it was and is. And and uh, so it'll be a good test of golf. Two two different styles yeah. of courses. Yeah, good luck. We're rooting for you. Yeah. Sean, yeah, we got a... Uh, okay. We got a question over Twitter about uh, why you chose to play your college golf at uh, Indiana University. Did uh, the University of Memphis or uh, Tennessee try to recruit you? Well, that's that's kind of a long story. I'll be I'll try to be as quick as I can. You know, I I ultimately chose I was going to Kentucky and uh Steve Flesh, I went up there, my dad and I went up there for a visit and and we went to the UNLV Kentucky game in Rupp Arena and got to see the campus and it was a it was a it was a great place to be. Uh, now keep in mind I was still I did a lot of things when I was in high school. I played basketball um, you know, I think I quit after my freshman year. So, and I pretty much focused on golf. But there weren't a lot of national tournaments. I think the AJGA Tour came into existence in maybe about the mid-80s, 85, 86, something like that. So that's coming right into my junior and senior years of high school. So there weren't a whole lot of national events. Now, I won the State of Tennessee High School Tournament twice. I won it my sophomore year and my senior year and those types of things. But there weren't a whole lot of national events and to be honest with you at the time I really kind of thought I was just going to follow in my in my dad's uh, footsteps and, and become a pilot I was had got my pilot's license when I was a senior but ultimately I took a visit up to IU and I just really kind of fell in love with it and um, met the guys and really enjoyed them and um, after my second year of college uh, our coach re- retired and the coach that was there with the women named Sam Carmichael had played the tour for, I don't know, seven or eight years um, and had a lot of really good ladies teams, had some really good players. Michelle Redmond, Redmond played the LPJ tour for a lot of years. Um, I think she's coaching at Minnesota now, but um, I knew that he, I wanted to play the tour. And so I decided to stay, but most people do ask me about why I went up there. And I just, I just wasn't, I wasn't as recruited nationally uh the summer the summer of uh between my high school and my freshman year of college i won the future masters which was at the time one of the biggest junior events in the in the country if not the world i won that event and that's really when i started getting a little bit more uh recognition but by then i'd already signed my letter of intent and i just felt like it was important for me to to honor that um you know i think lsu had contacted me mississippi state florida and some other schools and um but I'd already signed my letter of intent. And, uh, you know, to be honest, my dad wanted me to go to West Point. I got recruited by them, but uh, I wasn't I wasn't quite, quite ready for that. So I didn't take orders too well. But, um, you know, in a nutshell, that I just went to Indiana because I, 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 I loved it. And um, it, it, even though it was, it was cold up there, it gave me a chance. It gave me a break. Um, but, again, I wasn't as nationally recruited you know, going into college as maybe some of the other guys just because I I wasn't really traveling and doing those sorts of things. Another listener wants to know uh, what U.S. Open setup was the most difficult that uh, you played in? Well, Shinnecock, I would say. 
in 2004. My first U.S. Open was in 1999 at Pinehurst, and I'd and I'd heard so much about that place, and it was it was tricky, and, and most of, most of the trickiness was surrounded the greens there. But Shinnecock, as far as a tee to green setup, was the most difficult I've ever played. Um, I believe going into the last round, I think when I made the turn on Sunday, I was in I don't know maybe tenth. I'm just gonna say tenth place. And Charles Howland, I think we're out we're out there playing, and it was windy. And if anybody remembers what had happened there, the seventh hole was a par three, and not a really long par three. It was probably a seven iron. And but the green sloped. It was a Redan green. It was severely sloped from back to front left. And um, I remember seeing going by one of the holes and looking over there and seeing that there were water in the green, which I thought was odd because there was somebody had just left the green. Well, Kevin Statler had apparently had a three- or four-foot putt for par, and he putted it and missed it, and it rolled all the way off the green into the bunker. And it, Wow. It just, after about the third or fourth group, they started watering the greens. And that was really one of the first times that I recall the USJ ever admitting that the course had just gotten away from them. But, I mean, it was impossible. I, I, I think I shot, you know, I have to go back and look, maybe one over on the front, even one over, and I think I was six or seven over on the back. Uh, wow. It just—it was windy. It was hot. It was—it was the ball was just you couldn't stop it, um, and uh, it just—it was impossible, really. I shot eighty. I don't know how many guys shot eighty, but I think I started the day in thirteenth or fourteenth place, and I shot eighty, and I only fin- and I still finished twenty eighth. So usually when you shoot wow. eighty on a Sunday, you go from tenth or thirteenth to like seventieth. Um, so that tells <laughs> right. you just how difficult it was. It was really frustrating. It was really the first time that I just kind of lost my temper with the rule, with the rules official. You know, we have a walking, a walking rules official with us. And I just, I just told him, I, I could not believe that they let the golf course get to where the, to where it got. I mean, it was difficult. And I do look, I love difficult courses, but it was, it was absolutely unfair. And, um, you know, but the thing is, somebody's going to win. And I think, you know, obviously shooting 80, that, that didn't help things with, with my attitude, but, um, that was the most difficult, difficult course that I remember. Difficult U.S. Open I've ever played, I and mean, that's probably the most difficult conditions that I've ever played in. I mean, sure, you play in wind, you play in rain, and, and things of that nature. But as far as having a perfectly sunny day and it was just hot and windy and dusty, and it was just every shot was, uh, you know, it was obviously it's not life and death out there, but it's about you know how well you're going to play in your your Open Championship and. Uh, right. You know, you'd be in between clubs, and you were guessing the pace of play was, or you know, it was really slow. Everybody's just trying their best. You know, shots are rolling off the greens, and of course, you're witnessing all this stuff. The guy in front of you is putting it off the green, and now you're like, where do I hit this ball? And I think that's where it really right. comes down to the fairness of the game and the equity, the equitability of the game. Is is are there really no places to hit the ball to where you're safe? And it almost got to that point. And uh, that's where you kind of deem, of course, unfair. Mm-hmm. Similar to the last question, Sean, we, we hear an awful lot about the U.S. Open rough. Did you ever get in, in a rough that was, you know, you were just barely off the green in a U.S. Open and the lie made it so that you had to chip it back into play? You really couldn't get your club on the ball? That's happened a lot. It it, it still happens. It happens on some of the, on the regular courses as well. I mean, um you know, Wingfoot was like that. Um, of course, you know, you play some of these events uh, in Europe, uh, the Open Championships, where you can remember Carnoustie 
Uh, remember Jean Vandeville, what he did. I mean, I've right. played courses where the rough was like that. Um, you know, it takes a pretty errant tee shot to get into areas of, of that se- severity. But, um, you know, and you know, the U.S. Open started this a number of years ago, maybe a wing floater, maybe even a little bit, but they did this graduated rough. They kind of determined that, because what was happening is the golf courses are typically so firm at U.S. Opens. That's how they like to have them. Guys were just missing the fairway by, say, three inches, and they were absolutely dead. And a guy would miss the fairway by 10 or 12 yards, and he might be okay where the people were standing. So they started yeah. widening the fairways a little bit a, bit, a little bit like that. Um, the PJ has done that a couple times. But I don't know. Oak Hill was like that when I won uh, in 03. It was chip out rough. Um, I think that's why there were so few guys under par. Um, you know, if you hit it in there, it was pretty much just hack it out and get up and try to make par. But that's that's frustrating when you hit a fairly decent tee shot and you have no opportunity to to get to the green or even create any type of shot. And I think that's I think the fans I don't think the fans like that either. Um, I think they like to see right. tough tough courses. Some like to see really difficult greens. Some people like to see really difficult conditions. Uh, weather-wise, um, so everybody has their thing, I guess. But uh, as a player, it's frustrating when you just miss the fairway, and you've got no—I mean, you have no attempt to get to the green, and that's not a lot of fun. No, and I—and maybe this is just personal preference, as you point out, Sean. But you know, I—I I much prefer seeing things like we typically see at Augusta National at the Masters, where there are opportunities for birdie and eagle out there, particularly on the on the back nine and to see guys have the opportunity to make a charge and make a run versus just seeing train wreck after train wreck because the greens are tricked up or the, or the you know, the, yeah. the fairways are tricked up with rough. And to me, that's not any fun. I don't like watching you guys having to, you know, grind and struggle out there because we can tell you're frustrated and that doesn't make uh, for fun golf for me to watch. Well, and it, it doesn't make a, like a whole lot of fun for fans because, you know, the guys will just once you get to a certain point in in the day or the tournament, guys are just like getting, they're kind of just mentally giving up. They're not really giving it their you know their hundred percent attention, and you can see that you know you can see when a guy's giving up. I mean, I certainly have done it um, you know just attitude wise. But um, I think you want to if you're gonna one thing Augusta does it allows you to to play shots. Now if you're out of position. You know, that ball may just be sitting there on a little light tuft of grass, but you're going to be tempted to try to create something, and that's when you get into trouble, and it lures you into. And when you have a golf course that is so – the rough is so deep, well, guys just take it out. It eliminates really the double bogeys because guys just take up their wedge and they hack it up the fairway and they hit an 80-yard shot and they they make bogey. But when you you encourage guys to try to – Oh yeah, I think I can do this, and we all we all have that ego in us, and uh, that's when you you know, airmail the green, or you 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 chunk it in the rough, or you do all sorts of crazy things. So, um, like I said, there's a little bit for everybody out there. Uh, people like Augusta for the for the scoring. I don't know how well it was received this year. I mean, obviously Jordan played well, and they got a great champion. But as far as um, you know. The way the greens play, they look pretty soft. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, but look, not everybody shot issued eighteen under, seventeen under, something like that. So eighteen under. Um, there's opportunities to score, and if you're playing well, that's, um, you know, that's kind of what you want. You don't want. I don't like it when everybody has a chance. I think that's why I've always liked difficult courses. I like them where they challenge you mentally, they challenge your, your know, ability off the tee, and those types of things. Um, versus everybody just going out and just bombing it, and everybody's got an equal chance to get it on the green. Because I, 
that's no fun. That just right there goes to the long hitter. And as you know, the game has kind of gotten a little crazy um, with with the length out there. Uh, guys are carrying it 330 yards, and right. uh, you know, I'm 46 years old. I can't do that. So times pass me by. John, a couple more before we let you go. Um, we got a question about hearing about uh, players talk about how courses suit their eye. Talk about what that means, and you know, the the the, uh, the writer asked, was there a course out there that really suited your eye well? I like golf courses that I feel like I'm enclosed. Um, look at look at Oak Hill, look at Medina, where I finished second in 2006, and for some reason, I've always liked that. The way courses seem to be going these, these days are let's eliminate every tree on the golf course. I, I hate feeling like I'm just standing out there in the middle of a pasture and I'm just like got the spotlight on me. I like to be enclosed, and I don't know why that is. I think it's because my eye, it helps me shape the ball. It gives me some perspective, um, you know, and it's probably a lot easier to play a golf course like that. One of the most difficult courses that I've played um, and it was it had it had changed so much between the two two U.S. Opens. One I did play, one I did not was Oakmont. You know, Oakmont. If you remember, Lauren Roberts is a good friend of mine. Finished second in the U.S. Open. There it was him and Colin Montgomery, and uh, I think uh, Ernie Els won his first one there. They had trees right. in like '94 something, and then you know yeah. it was, they cut every tree down, and so you see every bit of trouble out there. You know, on and not just on your hole, on every other hole too. So your mind is constantly, and, and the open courses, it's so difficult to find a target to aim at. You know, whether you're aiming at a tree or whatever, you just don't have that. You know, you go to St Andrews, and you get to the I don't know, was it the second or third hole or something like that? You're aiming, you're aiming at the control tower at Lucas Airfield, which is you know a couple miles away, and it, it's just it's just a little unsettling to me. I like the feeling of being enclosed. Um, you know, where I can just, I don't know. I just, I just don't like the feeling of being open. It's kind of hard to, hard to explain that. So, um, and I've always been that way. I really have. I've never liked the course. I think it's just because I see all of the trouble out there and just, and I have a, I have a difficult time focusing on, on, you know, what I'm trying to do. Listener just uh, wrote in on our Facebook page. Uh, when when we're all putting poorly, we blame the putter instead of the putty. Did you ever change putters and immediately start putting well, but then slide back and uh, go back and get the uh, old putter? Oh, of course, of course. You know, growing up, I I, uh, I I used an old Ping B60 for years, and it had a plumber's neck on it, and. Uh, you know, I kind of would putt pretty well with it and and, uh, and then kind of go away from it. But I think you always kind of keep it in the closet. You hear that, guys, guys take it out and give it a little bit of a rest. And um, when you find something that looks good to your eye, that's usually where I kind of I, I kind of gravitate towards those, whether if I'm looking for something new or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's okay. Just put it up. Try something different. But if you're going to try something different, Really try something different. And I texted you earlier about with putter, the Odyssey that I'm using. I've been using yeah. an Odyssey Backstrike Marksman since 2010. Now I've tried a couple others. I've tried Scotty's, and, and Scotty's made me a couple beautiful putters. Um, but this Marksman, when I changed putters in 2010, um, I went I went to something that was so kind of out there. I was always kind of a real, just a kind of a blade type putter, heel shafted blade. And this kind of bucked the trend. And it's a center shafted, 
it's a stroke balance putter. So when you when you lay the putter in your palm, instead of it facing up like a face balance, the the putter face is perpendicular to the ground, and I love it. And um, you know, so if you're going to change putters, you got to change something really crazy. If you're a, if you're a blade style putter, try a mallet. If you're a mallet style putter, try something different. You're going to feel it in your hands. You're going to feel it in your stroke, just because the, the typically the mallet putters are more face balance, and so you're going to feel a more straight back, straight through type of stroke versus something that may has a maybe a quarter or even a half toe hang, which I always like quarter toe hangs. You know, it allowed it allowed the putter to swing a little bit, but it wasn't so much like uh, if you think of an 8802 style putter that's right in the heel of the putter. Well, that, that just hangs straight down. Um, that's got a lot of face rotation. So these putters aren't just for look. They're designed to, to, to offer people different strokes. If you feel like you're, uh, you know, open to the face too much, Go find your center-shafted uh, mallet-style putter. If you feel like you'd like to have a little bit more fo- face rotation, focus on the toe hang and where the, the shaft comes into the into the head, um, those types of things. So long answer, but uh, if you're going to change putters, the bottom line is find something just totally different, different look, and give it a try. There you go. John, one more before we let you go. Another Facebook question coming in. Do you, do you have any golf superstitions about the things you wear or the things you eat or something you have to do in order to play well? I don't know. My caddy and I have argued about that for, for a long time. I, I think maybe I've marked my golf ball, and I don't know if that's a superstition or it's just a habit. I mean, I mean, I guess you could get into the philosophical differences of, of defining either one of those words. But, um, you know, I've marked my ball the same way for a long time. Now, I used to mark my ball with a pencil. You can't get a pencil in the core in the if it cover the ball anymore. So I've had to go to the sharpies. But I've marked it with one red dot on the side um, for as long as I remember. Matter of fact, I was I was going through some of my golf bags last night and uh, I found balls that were you know probably ten twelve years old and it's all got the same mark. But I, 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 I if you want to call that a superstition, I guess I have that. Um, the other thing that I like to do is I like to mark my balls on the green with a foreign coin. Um, it could be from it could be a, a, really? a ten pence piece from Scotland or or London. It could be, you know, I've got I've got coins from you know every country that I've played in. I've probably played in thirty one, thirty two countries around the world, and so my bag is filled with with all sorts of crazy things, um, you know. And I just I think it's just it's different, um, and it just reminds me of just some really a neat time in my life when I traveled the world and played in kind of faraway lands and. Um, you know, it really kind of got me to where, you know, not not say where I am today, but at least got me back onto the PJ Tour on a more consistent basis. Um, you know, I, I loved Asia, but but I, so I have that. Um, I have um, uh, what else do I do? I don't I don't really do anything else. I mean, I, other than that, that I can think of, I don't have any superstitions about what I eat or what time I get up. You know, um, I just kind of I don't know, as I've gotten older, I kind of get up. I used to get up two and a half hours before my tea time. I don't do that anymore. So, so there's been a lot of things that have changed, but I don't really have anything. When I think of a superstition, I think of, okay, if I don't do this, it's going to affect my game and my day is ruined. I don't have anything like right. that, um, you know, because I'm going to mark my ball. I've got to mark my ball anyway. So it's not like I can forget to do that. Um, so I, I, I guess I would have to say no that I don't really have any. So I've just always been kind of interested and perplexed by people that just had to do those types of things in order to get through their day. I just, 
I always kind of felt bad for people that had to do that. And uh, but <clears throat> anyway, I don't uh, I don't have any of that. All right. Well, Sean, remind our listeners how they can follow you and send you questions directly uh, o- over social media, as well as you know they can uh, obviously send them to me at CT Mascaro and uh, our next on the T uh, Facebook page. But how can they uh, get them directly to you if they want? Yeah, so I'm I'm at Sean McKeel PGA is my Twitter account, and uh, you know you can just find me Sean McKeel on Facebook, and um, I've had some fun with it. I'm I'm always interested here. I got a few questions a while ago, and I haven't heard from too many people lately, but um, always nice to hear from my fans. That's fantastic. Sean, again, thank you for being patient with us this morning, coming back on the show again this week. It's always a privilege to get the opportunity to uh, hear you share your stories and answer the questions from our listeners here on the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, Chris. I'm always happy happy to be on and share some of my life with uh, the great, great listeners out there. Fantastic. Sean, uh, have a great rest of the weekend. We look forward to uh, doing it again as your schedule allows. Best of luck. You know, uh, out uh, out at your. I'm, I'm assuming when you say your home course, that's Southwind there in Memphis as well, well as uh, German. Yeah, Ridgeway Country Club. Well, uh, TPC Southwind is where the FedEx St. Jude Classic is going to be starting next week. But Monday, I grew up at Ridgeway Country Club, which is of course not too far from my home. So, um, oh, been there since good. 1982. I was what 12, 13 years old when I joined there. So, uh, that's my that's my home club. Okay. Well, good luck playing there and at uh, Germantown, and I, we are certainly rooting for you to make the field at the U.S. Open, and hopefully we get the opportunity to watch you out at Chambers Bay. But all the best to you. Yeah, me too, and your Chris. Family. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. Take care, Sean. Okay. Sean McKeel, 2003 PGA champion. Uh, great stuff. A lot of, We had several other questions we just didn't have time to get to. We will get to those. Hopefully, uh, Sean will be able to join us again next week. We'll get to those. Please have your questions continue to come to us uh, on uh, our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. You can find us there. You can uh, t- uh, certainly send them to Twitter to Sean at his, uh, his address, or you can tweet him to me at CT Mascaro as well. All right, folks, uh, it's been a great show, and uh, thanks for again to all of our guests for being patient with us and uh, such great stories they shared. But it's uh, it's time for us to put a bow on this one. Before we go, I also want to give a quick shout-out today to our good friends over at GolfBalls.com. If you're looking for a great gift idea for Dad for Father's Day, check out the wide variety of gift options at GolfBalls.com. Get Dad's name, his initials, or favorite saying printed on his favorite brand of golf balls or on some tees. Or, uh, you know, you can uh, get a personalized hat, a towel for him. Make Dad's day special and memorable for him with a personalized gift uh, golf item from GolfBalls.com. GolfBalls.com is the online leader in golf customization. Uh, before we close up shop, I also want to remind you once again about the great book uh, from our good friends Dave Stockton and Dave Stockton Jr. called Own Your Own Game. If you're starting, you know, to get out there physically and you've got the rust sort of shaking off, but you still need a little tune-up, remember, so much of the game is played in that five-inch space between our ears. Get your mind right. In this latest book, the Stockton's let you know how to use your mind to play winning golf. Own Your Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton at one of his highly sought-after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion uh, tour player, both on the uh, regular tour and the senior tour. Plus, he's a revered coach. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute execute more consistently, and most importantly, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy, and for a couple extra dollars, he'll even autograph it for you. All right, folks, 
My sincere thanks again to uh, Paul Grandgard, Chris Kosky, David Meltzer, and Sean McKeel for joining me today and for making today's show so much fun to be a part of. And we thank you for tuning in. You know we appreciate you the very most. Please also check out our sister show, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, with uh, me and my co-host, uh, Bob Lazeri, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. You know that show airs every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio as well as on Armed Forces Radio. Plus, on Friday nights, you can hear us from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time over on Boost Radio. You can find us at BoostRadioNetwork.com, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Friday nights. That show, like uh, this one, is also available on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, Audioboom. Our, our, our uh, thanks to our new friends over at Audioboom and SoundCloud as well. We're joined every week on Thursday Night Tailgate by uh, legends from around the NFL and the Canadian Football League. Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. You can find us online, this show, nextonthetea.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, plus keep up to date with uh, who some of our future guests are going to be on both sites. Thanks again, folks, for choosing to listen to this show today. We really appreciate that. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.